with the set aside prayer god set aside everything i think i know about you god the steps recovery the big book what's best for me what's best for others especially let go of all my old ideas so i can live on your truth open my spirit to receive your message help me carry your message tonight amen, amen. okay uh for those listening uh super bowl right yes, sir. yeah this is this is Kansas City Chief country, and I'll tell you, it's hard to stay sober and be a Chiefs fan all these years, but uh, they did it today, and we're all happy. Uh, we have some new people. I want to welcome them. Uh, this meeting is a little different. We're teaching the books so that you can do what's in the books so you can have a relationship with God. And um, we'll be here Wednesday night at 7.30. It's going to be great. We're going to be here Saturday morning. At 9.15, we had some great birthdays. They talked about relationships. We just finished To Wives. We spent five weeks on that. The podcasts are on the site. Powerful information on how we relate with each other. And yesterday, we started the family afterwards. And when you read it in those terms, it's how you relate to each other in a relationship and to the world and everybody in it. It's the spiritual principles. So uh, get on the site if you're interested. <laughs> Uh, tonight, we're on, uh, on Wednesday night. This is our 10th or 11th time through the book, uh, maybe 12th, I can't count. We're in our 12th year, for those who are new, done about 1,500 of these. We're on, it's Sunday night, right? On Sunday night, we're on page 64. We are on step four. And uh, we've taken a while to get here. Uh, do we have any uh, people who are relatively early in recovery here? We have a few, don't we? So I think since uh, this is so important, what we're about to do, I thought I'd do a little uh, off-the-cuff review on where we are and how we, what we need to do to get here. What we need to do to get to page 64 is we have to understand how hopeless our situation is. I have a hopeless situation of mind and body. I still have it today. I have a hopeless situation today without God. And I had a hopeless situation because I couldn't control how much I drank when I drank. And I couldn't live sober and not have the obsession to drink. Anybody else have that? And that made me powerless over alcohol. And that made me an alcoholic. And what really made me an alcoholic is that I couldn't live sober. Sober is when the disease occurs. It doesn't occur after you drink. You just have a lot of trouble. It occurs before you drink because I was living a self-centered life separated from God. And I didn't like the way the things would go and I'd want to drink. Anybody else have that? Mm -hmm. So I had a spiritual illness as well as a physical and mental illness. But I didn't know that when I came in. But I knew things were really bad. And I couldn't live anymore the way I was going on. I didn't want to live anymore. I think that was the deal. I couldn't and I didn't. And I was willing to change. So the first step, you have to, it doesn't say you're an alcoholic, does it? No. It says you admitted you're powerless over alcohol. If you're an alcoholic, you're powerless over alcohol. Now, it's in a bottle, for God's sakes. How can a liquid in a bottle you be powerless over? Is that insane? Because our mind seeks what it's going to do for me and can't remember what it did to me. And when I live sober without God and I'm self-centered, I don't like the way things go. And my mind will say, 
boy, that sounds like a good idea. And once an alcoholic gets a good idea like that, nothing can get it out of his mind. Anybody else have that happen to you? Mm -hmm. Next thing you know, you're drinking. And then you can vaguely sense it's not a good idea, right? <laughs> but when your mind wants it, there's nothing in here that can say no. Now that's a bad situation. If you have that, then you're in the right place and you have the right book. Because this book is the only thing I know that gives me the directions on how to deal with a mind that can't say no to alcohol. Because I don't have to worry about it today myself. God will tell me to say no. And so it's all about a relationship with God. Why? Because the second part of the first step, my life was unmanageable by me. They left out by me in there. And um, I managed my life and I made a mess of it. Anybody else do that? I didn't even realize I was doing it. I was just doing the best I could. Anybody else doing the best you could? My motives were always good, right? To me. But maybe it didn't make sense when you actually looked at it. But I was just trying to wrest some satisfaction and happiness out of life by doing what? Managing well. <coughs> and so nobody told me when I was five years old that it was a bad idea, Michael, to run the world. <laughs> because I just wanted approval and I wanted people to love me. And that started my alcoholism. So I tried to do what I could to get love and attention and respect and admiration from other people. It didn't come from within me. So I have to truly take that first step. I have to admit that I'm broken. I have to repent. People don't like that word in AA because it's in the Bible, but we have to repent. We have to change our mind, change the direction of my life because of my first step. And I understand from my first step, and I don't want to forget it, and uh, is how bad it was. I don't want to ever go back to that. And I know I'll go back to that if I stop doing this. So if you're new, the first step is critical. It can't be, gee, you know, I'll go to some meetings and maybe get a sponsor. I'll read the big book. Reading the big book's great, but it won't do it. It won't change you. Are you willing to take action? So the willingness comes from understanding that I'm defeated. And then if I just stay undefeated defeated and willing, nothing's going to change. So the key thing that most new people don't realize is you have to do something. You have to do some action to change your personality. Because if I don't change my personality, then I'm still going to be left with me running the show and not feeling well and liking the way it is and getting irritable, restless, and discontent and resentful and fearful and do horrible things and shame and guilt. And then I'll want to get a drink. Now, when people come in here, they don't realize that they went to the liquor store because they were managing their life and they were full of fear and anger and they were harming people and they were feeling guilty and they were self-centered. No, they had a list of reasons why they needed a drink and them managing the world was not one of them. But when you come in here and you see the truth, you begin with the first step to see the truth. <coughs> so you have to be 100% willing. 90% willing won't do it has to be 100%. It has to be willing to do what? Take action to get a relationship with God, to get some power in your life that we read tonight, right? Now, the second step comes from going to meetings. Now, if you're new and you believe Ron, I believe Ron, it, something's happened to Ron in two years. Something's changed in him. He can say no to cocaine, no to alcohol, 
he, he doesn't have a perfect life. He still has emotional issues, but he hasn't had to use or drink yet because of his relationship with God. Something's changed. Two years is a long time. So when you come to AA, you come to believe that there is a power that can help you by looking at people in the room and talking to them and listening to their stories. But if you want what they have, you're going to have to find out what they did. And you're going to have to do what they did to have what they had. Now this book, for those who haven't studied in great detail, is a testimony. It's a testament. It's a testament to uh, people in 1930s who were dying of alcoholism. And this is a testimony to what they did and what they had and what happened in their lives. And they had a hopeless condition of mind and body. And they wrote this book to give specific directions how they recovered from it. And they said on page 20, it says, if you're a hopeless alcoholic and wondered how we got well, you're going to ask, what do I have to do? Isn't that a good question? And they say the next line, well, this book is meant to answer such questions specifically. So I teach the book, so I teach the specific directions that are in the book. They're not my directions. And if you do them and follow them, you tell us if your life changed. So you come to believe after you're willing to change. Then you believe you can change. Anybody here believe you can change? Good. But you're not changed yet. So then we get to page 60 to 63, and it tells us what's wrong with us. We're selfish and self-centered. We've been managing the world. It hasn't worked. And we must be rid of selfishness. It's going to kill us. It says that in the book, doesn't it? It doesn't say, take your time, you're sober. <laughs> Live selfish for a while. No, it says it's going to kill you. Who makes removing the selfishness possible? God. Now, how does that happen? Do you say, God, remove my selfishness? Anybody do that? It's good, but it won't work. Because right after you say the prayer, you're going to get in the car and run the world. You, have, you don't have any tools yet to change. But you want to change. You make a decision to change. It's a powerful decision. What you're deciding in step three is to get a new manager for your life. Now, I forgot the cards. I'll pass them around next time. If you're new, we give you a card. Congratulations. You have ruined your life. Fire yourself. <laughs> now. <laughs> and forever. Now, it's funny, but it's true. So I, in the beginning, if you're new, you have to fire yourself. And you have to find a new manager. And uh, I said this story yesterday. I, I thought of it Friday night. That when I look back, and if somebody's looking back at my life, they're watching my life, and they're watching me run the run. It's Jim Nance and Tony Romo in the booth. And I'm out on the field in my Michael uniform, and I'm playing the game of life. And it gets to the fourth quarter, and Tony says to Jim, you know, he keeps calling that resentment play. It's not working. It's not working. He's got the big play now. Let's see if he changes the play. And let's see what he calls. Oh, no, he called fear. That hasn't worked either. He needs a new play caller. And that's really what the fourth step is all about. That's where we're going to come to tonight. I have to see how my thinking has been wrong. 
when I run the world and I have to learn tools in the fourth step on how to be free of anger. Anybody want to do that? Free of fear and how to make a sane um, conduct in relationships so I'm not harming people. And so if you come to, if you're new in AA, try to get with someone and get into the fourth step as soon as possible. It doesn't take a long time to admit you're broken, your life is unmanageable, you cannot keep from drinking and using. You've experienced that. It doesn't take long to believe that there's a power that can help you. I don't think you have to struggle with the decision to fire yourself if you look at where you are and that you want a new director and you want it to be God. Now, why is God a good director? Because God has all power, right? And the third step is really signing a contract with God. I don't have any contracts here tonight to send out, but you have a contract. It's between you and God. And I sign one. And God said, okay, Michael, I'll give you everything you need. And here's what you have to do. Stay close to me and perform my work well. That's it. And you'll get everything you need. And also, Michael, I'll handle worry. And you work for me now. So I work for God now. I don't work for anybody else but God each day. I submit to the authority of my creator. We don't talk about that enough, but I was listening to scripture today. And that's what it's all about, submitting to the authority of your creator. Who's the authority in your life that you're going to submit to? Is it your wife? Is it your boss? Whoever you're, you're focused on, they'll have power over you. So who do you want to have your power? Because if you focus on your wife or job or money, then that becomes your higher power and then you'll worry. You'll worry how you're doing. So we sign a contract with God in the third step. Now, how do we stay close to him and do his work well? Well, that's what the other steps are all about. And the first step, step four, we'll go to the bottom of page 63 and I'll review because we have some new people here. It, you say the third step prayer, and then it says you wait a year before doing it. No, it says next. Now, why do I encourage people to read the book, find somebody, and work the steps quickly? I know I'm relentless in my, in my, but you have a disease that is ongoing while you're sober, and you don't have any power to live. So I suggest you get the, into the steps as quickly as possible to get the power. Now I was a cancer doctor and I would see a lot of really sick people. Some we unfortunately too, too advanced, we couldn't help. Some had conditions we don't have good treatments for. But if we had a good treatment, which this book is, this is a, this is a treatment that works. And if they came in the wheelchair and they're really sick, I didn't say, you know, Let's wait a few weeks before we start treatment. Let's not rush it. Well, then they're living with their disease. And then they may not make it back. So I really believe in doing the work, not that you shouldn't do it well, but get into it, do it, find someone. I started this meeting years ago so people would know the book, so that they could take somebody through the book. And I think that's happened. There are a lot of people I know that have come through the years and they've studied the book and they're working the book with others. Because when I was 
12 or 13 years ago, there weren't a lot of book studies. There was none like this. And so I hope it's helped people. So it says next, next, right after you make a decision, you're going to launch on a course of vigorous action. It doesn't say think about it a while. Somebody mentioned relationships. You know, we have these, we have these slogans in AA, no relationships for a year. Anybody ever heard that? So does that mean you can, you can have a relationship on day 366, but you can't have it on day 360? Now, I want to ask you a question. If you're dying of alcoholism and you need a relationship with God, how long are you going to wait for that? That's the only thing that will treat your disease is your relationship with God where you have a power to live and God can change the way you see things. Now, what is your basic disease? It's called SHIT, simply how I think. My thinking was off. I would see the world and react to it, and my reactions were wrong. Why? I wasn't in fit spiritual condition. Step four is where we're going to look at my reactions to life. And when I reacted to life, three things happened. I'd be fearful, angry, and I'd make bad decisions and harm people. Anybody relate to that? So we're going to launch on a course of vigorous action. Notice the word vigorous, the first step of which is a personal house cleaning, which many of us have never attempted. Now, this doesn't mean you get the mini-maids or whatever they're called to come and clean your house. You're cleaning your mind. You're cleaning your mind of all the crap in your head. Does this make sense? Because if you want God to direct your life, he can't direct a mind that's full of fear and anger and harmful and shame. There's no room in there for God to work. So we're going to, in fourth step, we're going to look at the thinking that caused these things, face and be rid of our fears and our anger and our shame and guilt. Anybody think that's a good idea? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, if, if you're new, if you don't do this, you're still left with all the crap. And your mind hasn't changed and you don't see the truth. So it says the decision step three is vital and crucial. Vital means necessary for life. It's not going to have any permanent effect unless at once followed by a strenuous effort to face and be rid of the things in me which have been blocking me from God. So anytime between next and out once, at once is when you do the fourth step. And, you know, it, it shouldn't... It's not that the fourth step is very hard. A lot of people go, oh, the fourth step, or oh, you're not ready to. It's not hard. You're going to see the specific directions. You go on the site, you do fourth step, you'll see. I've taught this, I don't know, eight or nine times <laughs> since we started recording. It's pretty simple. You're going to face and be rid of what? The things in my mind which is blocking me from God. Now, why is resentment or anger a bad thing? Because whatever I'm angry or resentful at is my God at that point. It has power over me. If I'm afraid, whatever I'm afraid of has power over me at that point. Anybody get angry and afraid and then drink and use? And so we want to replace anger and fear with love and courage and trust in God. But we don't know how to do that. So we're going to learn in the fourth step how to do that. The beginning of a process is a lifetime recovery. Liquor is just a symptom of what? It was actually a solution for a spiritual problem, and it's called the spirit. Did anybody get excited on the way to getting their drugs or alcohol that things were going to get better? Anybody know what I'm talking about? You know it's coming. 
The relief is coming. The relief from what? From being sober, living in the world, running the show. And so liquor was a solution, but it didn't work. So let's try a different solution, the 12 steps and God. And I guarantee if you do the steps and you work them and you let God uh, come into your life, you tell us if it isn't better. So now when you're, you get angry or afraid, you turn to God. You say, God, remove my anger. God, remove my fear. You don't say, get a drink. But you have to see how to do that, and that's what we're going to learn. So we had to get down to the causes and conditions of what? Our unmanageable life. Of our powerlessness. So we're going to start upon a personal inventory. You're going to inventory your personality. For those who are new, they have a chapter in the back on the spiritual experience. It says the spiritual experience is a personality change sufficient to recover from alcoholism. We're not talking about anything but changing the way we think and see things. And if we change the way we think and see things, we're going to think and see differently. <laughs> and things won't be such a problem. Ron mentioned some things that have happened in his life. They're events. They're things that with God we react to in a positive way. Without God, we made, we made every mouse turd. We had the pole vault over it. We created, anybody sit in your living room alone and create problems in your head? Yeah, and so we don't want to do that anymore. Why? We, if we want to have peace of mind, we want to have joy of life. Not necessarily happiness, but we want to have the joy of the peace, which comes from your relationship with God. And then you can handle anything, right? I started this meeting because my son died of a drug overdose. And I, God told me to teach the big books so that uh, people could do it and they don't have to die in their car at four in the morning. And so... It says, a business which takes no regular inventory goes broke. Now, when I came in here, I was a broken man. And I hadn't taken any inventory of my thinking. And I had a lot of stuff in my head that wasn't getting sold. It's like Target would buy all the stuff that they didn't sell last Christmas, and that's what they're going to stock the shelves with next year. Do you want to buy their stock? No. So I had to see what was wrong in my mind. So the commercial inventory is a fact-finding and fact-facing process to look at the shelves. Think of your mind as a uh, quick shop. You're going to look at your mind. In the floor in the quick shop, when you walk in, is all your resentments. In the, in the refrigerated area is all your fear. And back in the office is your shame and guilt. You're going to look at that so you can clear the quick shop of all of that so then your life, God can direct your life. The fourth step is just looking at what you've, what you've put in your quick shop and seeing the truth about it so you can face and be rid of it. So you want to find the facts and face the facts about your quick shop. She works at Dillon's. They don't restock the shelves with the stuff that's still there, do they? No. No. They don't uh, raise the... They lower the prices of the stuff they can't get rid of, right? In an effort to discover, we're going to discover the truth about my stock and trade. When I came in here, I didn't know the truth about my thinking. I believed everything I thought. 
Now I heard something. Yeah, and it was really sick. And I heard a great speaker once, and he said something that his enemy was his thinking. He has a thinker in his mind. And the thinker would talk to him. And he called it the vulture on the bedpost. When he woke up in the morning, the thinker was saying, where you been? We got things to do. We got things to worry about. Let's get moving. So he finally decided after years that when his thinker would talk to him, he would say to the thinker, what's your source of information? Now, when I heard that, I heard that years ago, it changed me. When I get these thoughts like a fear, well, what's the source of that? Well, it's nonsense. God, take away the fear. It doesn't exist, you see? And so we're going to find the truth and we're going to disclose damaged or unsaleable goods. Now, that's good. We want to disclose it, but we want to get rid of them. So you're going to be able to get rid of all your resentments and all your fear, all of them, promptly without regret. Now, why do we need to do this in step four for the first time if you're new? Because you're going to need to do this every day. We talked about emotional sobriety. How do you have emotional sobriety? You face and be rid of the crap in your head all the time. And you don't, you don't hang on to it. You know it's crap. And if we're going to be successful, we cannot fool ourselves about values. Now, I fooled myself about a lot of stuff. And I made decisions based on self that caused me harm. Anybody else do that? Now, I didn't know that I was doing that. I thought they were good decisions. Anybody else make good decisions and end up in jail? <laughs> or homeless? Or fired? Divorced? Nobody's talking to you? And then when you come in here, of course, it's all their fault or somebody else's fault. But no, you're in step four now. We have to take responsibility for our lives. Because if our lives are going to change, we're the only ones who can change. They can't change. So we're going to do that with our life. Anybody want to do that? We took stock honestly. So here's the first thing you do in step four. You're going to search out the flaws, the blemishes in my makeup, in my personality, which caused my failure. Now, a lot of people read this, and you know how alcoholics read things. They think it says, first, we search out the flaws in their makeup, which caused my failure. No, that's why we're here. But when you do your resentment list, you're going to put down the thing, the people that you resent who you think caused you to get here. And then you're going to see how you actually caused the resentment. And you probably owe them men's. So we're going to search out the flaws in my makeup, in my thinking, in my personality. This is a, the characteristics of a personality, right? The left and right hand side. The left hand side is my characteristic of self-will. This is the spiritual checklist. I was selfish, dishonest, frightened, inconsiderate, prideful, greedy, lustful, angry, envy, sloth, all of this. And I live this way. And I reacted automatically to life like this. And we're going to look at our, our lives and we're going to see how these were manifest. When my thinking's like this, I'm angry, I'm afraid, and I'm harming people. So the way we do the fourth step is we look out there at the things we can see. We're going to look at resentment, then we look at fear, then we look at our sex inventory and our relationship conduct. Now, when we look at our resentment inventory, we work back and we see how we were threatened and how our characteristics of self came into play. And then we see how to face and be rid of them and we see the truth. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at self 
manifested in various ways, defeated me. We consider its common manifestations. Now, if I'm living a life right on self-will, what does self-will mean? Well, I've given that handout a million times of the instincts of life, the social, material, and sexual instincts of life. We all have them. We all want certain, these instincts fulfilled or we wouldn't have a human race. But we're self-will run riot. So whenever we want some, our pride or our self-esteem or our companionship or our ambitions are threatened, we get upset. Whenever our money or security or our, what our ambitions are materially get up, upset, we get angry, right? We're afraid and the same with our sex instincts. So we're gonna go ahead, it's common manifestations and resentment is the number one. I'm just gonna read a few more lines that we'll pick up next week. These are so important. Resentment is anger. It's anger in the past. It can be five seconds, it can be a minute, it can be 10 years. Now when people come in here, we have a lot of resentments. And people say, well, I'm never resentful. Well, they may actually believe that. I've had people tell me that and believe it. But they live in it, so they can't see it. See, I had resentments in, in kindergarten, I'm sure. First grade, I wasn't picked for the team, or I didn't get to do the punch ball, or you know, the teacher didn't pick me to do the spelling thing. Or it was endless. Now, you don't have to list all of that. I mean, we're not talking about you know, spending 100 hours on yourself. But you want to look back through your life at where you were angry. Now, why is resentment bad? It destroys more alcoholics than anything else. How can it destroy me? because it blocks me from God. So we're gonna look at our resentments and our wrongs. It says, from resentment stems all forms of spiritual disease. What was my spiritual disease? Does anybody know? <coughs> I was at dis-ease with the spirit. The spirit was okay. I was at dis-ease with the spirit. I was playing God. And from that, We've, but not only, and then I was mentally ill because I believed what I thought and acted on it. And I was physically ill because I was, I was in, uh, in conflict with the world. And I was physically ill because I couldn't control how much I drank. And my mind was ill because it couldn't keep from telling me to drink and use. We have been spiritually sick. When you're angry, you're spiritually sick. If you're disturbed, you're spiritually sick. If you're spiritually sick, you're not connected to God. You're not going to react in fit spiritual condition. You're going to say bad things. You're going to think bad things. You're going to do bad things. We don't want to live like that anymore, right? So we have to treat that. So when the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. If God's my director, then I don't have to worry about the obsession to drink. And then I don't have to worry about the allergy to alcohol because it's not going to be in my body. And if I'm, if I'm spiritually well, then my actions will reflect it, right? So I'm going to stop there, and then next week we'll pick up in how we actually do the resentment inventory. I hope this was helpful. We have a lot of new people, and I thought I'd show you why you have to do the fourth step, why it's so important. Thanks, Doctor. Thank you. Thank you.